0: Oh, from day one, everyone told me, don't touch this film. Do not make this film. It's a great (laughs) idea. Don't do it, right? Everything is going against you. It's a war film. It's an epic. It's a period piece. It's dealing with black and white and racial tension and issues. Like, it's your first film. Like, go do something easy. And it's, I don't want to make the, I want to make this movie. And so I'm going to move mountains to do it.
1: People told brett smith not to make this film his first feature he did it anyway and it's fantastic it's called freedom's path and as of february 1st it's streaming now on paramount and all its sister networks showtime etc go check it out welcome to first time go i'm benjamin ducek and we're releasing a conversation i had with brett in september as his film has the wider release come to think of it so does the podcast enjoy Good afternoon, Brett. Thanks for joining the First Time Go podcast.
0: How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to chat with you.
1: I'm excited to talk with you. I'm always down for a military film, but when it's civil war, it certainly speaks to my heart. So. Excited to talk with you about Freedom's Path. What originally excited you about filmmaking?
0: Oh, great question. You know, I, I'm a I'm a diff a lot of a lot of people I know. You know, they said from early on, six years old, they knew they wanted to be a filmmaker. You know, and, and that's just what they wanted to do. And I, that wasn't really my path. I mean, I was into athletics and sports, and and I wanted to be a, a pro baseball player, and that's what I pursued for a long time. And Filmmaking honestly kind of snuck up on me. It was something I always loved to do for fun. Friends on weekends, you know, when we were 12 and 13 and just make goofy videos and stuff. But as I got a little bit older, something just clicked in me and and I, I just, it just was this natural process of I wanted to tell stories with a little bit more weight and maybe a little more emotion. my friends were like, I don't want to cry on camera, Brett. Like, no way. And so, you know, go get somebody else. so naturally I got to go find other people. And it was kind of this natural process for me in getting there. But I I think I've always just loved storytelling. I've always loved to tell stories and hear stories. And I think that's, for me, a lot, I, I guess, where, where it came from. Always have loved movies, though. Always loved to sit in a theater and just be taken into another world.
1: And when did you start? Getting behind the camera, starting
0: making films like on your phone, or was it in a class? Yeah, we. So me, me and my buddies, we take my my parents' high eight camcorder, and you know we would just go off on weekends and make you know spoofs of Braveheart, goofy versions of that, or goofy versions of Lord of the Rings, and just fun stuff that way. And so I would say, I would say around 11 and 11 or 12 years old is when we kind of just started messing around with it and not thinking anything of it. Just this is fun. Let's do more of it. You know, wrestling, we were big into WWF and WCW would make like wrestling videos and stuff. They're just ridiculous, but it's so fun, you know? So I think that's, I'd say 11 or 12. And then did you decide
1: to go on to film school?
0: I, so I, I never went to film school. I, I just kind of learned through the I'm, I'm a stubborn guy. So I I learned through hitting my head against a wall a bunch, you know, making a lot of mistakes. And the school of hard knocks was was how I how I learned. I did go I did do one, like a certificate program here in Washington State at the University of Washington, which is kind of like a night class. But it wasn't it was for me was more so to just get to know other filmmakers the people around and so it was kind of like a once a week kind of a thing where you just get together and, and talk, but I didn't go to any kind of formal film school. It was just, like I say, just kind of learning the hard way, you know, but but I learned a lot in the process.
1: And so with that process, you started making shorts?
0: Yeah, yeah. It was just these kind of goofy videos. And then it turned from these fun videos to, I wanted to make something a little more serious or it actually, honestly, it actually kind of became, I'd had people ask to do, help me with the, help them with the wedding video, or there was something, you know, it was even, it was kind of every aspect of filmmaking was interesting. So there were some I want to do some sci-fi horror film or something. And I had to learn how to do an effect. And so I'd have to go learn After Effects and watch tutorial videos on how to do that. And so it was really this just gradual process. And for me, it it then became all about, I'm not a cinephile. Like I'm not someone who just knows everything about film history and just eats it up. I love film and I respect film. But for me, I can't tell a story unless I'm just totally compelled by it. And so it was finding, finding that story that all of a sudden I became obsessive compulsive with, like, I was compelled by it to the point of, that's all I wanted to do. And so it it was whatever I have to do, whatever means have to be done to get this film made, I'm going to do it, whether that's a short film or whatever. And so that that is kind of how I guess my process is, it's, it's, again, maybe atypical, but it was, yeah, definitely, definitely short, a little bit of everything, a little bit of short films, a little bit of just helping people out here and there and, you know, kind of learning some of the skill sets. And then ultimately, when that idea struck, when something just touched my heart, it was like, okay, that, that's what I've got to do. I've got to go make that, find a way to do it.
1: I love that. That feels very unique. And so that was Freedom's Path in 2015. It was a, originally started off as a short film.
0: So actually, way before that, so it was about 2010, Freedom's Path, and the short film, interestingly enough, so on IMDb, you'll see that there's a short film, but you'll never, you won't be able to find it anywhere. And so it was actually, the, the process is interesting. So what we did in for Freedom's Path is in 2010, 2011, I had the idea, and I was writing the script, and I wanted to make a what what we called a concept trailer. And they're not anything abnormal now, but effectively, it's How do I go make a highlight reel visually that's just like really beautiful, really compelling, maybe with some, you know, some voiceover dialogue in there that's like two minutes long, put some gorgeous music going and show that is like what this film is, give someone a representation. And so we shot a concept trailer up in Washington state in a place called Chehalis. We found out there was going to be a civil war reenactment going on where we had like 300 civil war reenactors. They were going to show up. I had never been to one, but I knew they had all the gear all the guns, cannons, horses, wagons, everything. And I i convinced them to let me come out with a with a camera and like a small crew and two actors. So for budget, I literally just had to convince my buddy who worked at a production company to bring out all the gear, which he did. And he was totally down for it because he was excited to go shoot Civil War stuff. And then I had to just buy wardrobe. You know, no, I didn't get an Enfield or any rifle or anything like that, just the basic wardrobe, a, a, you know, Union Blues, and then another outfit for my two actors. We showed up and from first light to pitch black all day long, we were just shooting everything, like running in and around the battles and making it look like, you know, it was all there. And so we kind of compiled this concept that we could kind of take out to people and say, Hey, look, this is what the film's going to be. And then in 2015, the short that you referenced, we actually had a producer that said, Okay, this concept trailer is beautiful, but it's kind of like a music video, I need to see some narrative, you know, shoot me a scene. And so we went and shot a scene from the script. As a test scene, and then just called it a short film. So we actually didn't technically make a short film; it was just kind of this whatever we had to do to get to convince people to let us make the movie is is what we did.
1: That's such a great story. And so, can you talk a little bit about the topic and why you are so inspired by it? Of freedom's path.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So for me, the topic is a Union soldier. I guess a quick, a brief synopsis is a Union soldier goes to join up and fight for for the North. And during this, the American Civil War, and he gets to battle, realizes it 's nothing like he imagined it to be he 's terrified, deserts from battle his first battle, and he 's happened upon by a free man, a, a former runaway slave and his, and his band of friends and It really becomes a story of this soldier and this free man overcoming prejudices and preconceived notions to become friends and brothers and family and so for me i've always loved american history i 've always loved history in general, but American history in particular and I this idea of the Civil War, I felt like it was so underrepresented in in a lot of ways. Like we've seen Gettysburg and Glory was there, and there's been some great films made of the era, but there was a lot of untapped material. And so, like one of the one of the stories that I loved growing up was Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. And one of the things that really drew me to it, and and I was I was compelled by, was Huck Finn. You know, this this young punk kid wants to just go off on an adventure, and Jim, this grown man, is trying to get to his family and he's got to run away and and he kind of gets stuck with Huck this again this this ignorant kid, and they have to go on this journey together and in the process, you know really learn a lot about each other and that 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 concept was very beautiful. the timeless nature of of Mark Twain's Huck Fin was really big for me and so I was very drawn to the idea of of wanting to make a timeless piece, but more importantly, wanting to tell something from a different perspective. And so, you know, knowing some basics about history, wanting to tell a story about free African Americans at this time period, which we, we, I growing up, I never learned anything about, but there were over 250,000 free African Americans living in the South during the time of the civil war, which is more than lived in the North. And, you know, what were these people's dreams and hopes and wishes and desires, you know, and I wanting to really tell a story representing them, but also just a story of humanity, right? A story of two people who learn to really see each other as that, as people, you know, and not some getting outside of what modern day would tell them at that time period. So I, I was compelled and driven by so many elements of, it, but honestly, just wanting to tell a story that is healing about humanity, about people and not about anything. there's no you know, when I really wanted to steer clear of any political or social division, just really tell a story of, of humanity. And so that's kind of, I guess a long winded rambling spiel of of kind of some of the passion, some of the thoughts and of where the film came from.
1: Oh, that's so exciting. I can definitely see the Huck Finn comparison now that you mentioned it in the story. Definitely encourage people to see Freedom's Path. It's a great story. So military films, veteran films are hard to make were you always heart it sounds like your heart was always set on this idea of a civil war film were there ever discussions of brett why don't you change it to something a little bit easier or was it just such a
0: important part of your vision that you wanted to stick with it oh from day one everyone told me don't touch this film do not make this film it's a great (laughs) idea don't do it right everything is going against you it's a war film. It's an epic. It's a period piece. It's dealing with black and white and racial tension and issues. Like it's your first film, like go do something easy. And it's, I don't want to make the, I want to make this movie. And so I'm going to move mountains to do it. So a hundred percent, I had all kinds of, all kinds of voices in my ear saying like, don't be stupid. You know, you're going to mess it up. And you know, one of the key elements from the military side that was really important for me was one of the the films that I saw when I was young. It was originally a book, but made into a film in the nineteen fifties, and it was called The Red Badge of Courage. And the film is this amazing film. It takes place about the Civil War, but it's it was I grew up on like you know the green berets and and like John Wayne movies, these awesome like just like hoorah like let's go kind of movies. You know about about you know war and the red badge of courage was very different it was it was really the first one of the first films if not the first film to really depict war for its monotony and, and the quiet moments this long drawn out like boredom and and just drilling and training and then these just brief bursts of just intensity and fighting and it also delved into ptsd and these other elements that these civil war soldiers were dealing with and it really really hit me and so i wanted i really wanted to explore that from the civil war standpoint because you know, the Civil War, desertion in any time of war, I think, especially from a Western or or an American perspective is dishonorable. And And it's always been seen that way. But there's there's a different level of how dishonorable it was to desert during the Civil War times. I mean, it was like, don't don't you dare come back, don't show your face in town kind of a thing. And thinking of how the proximity of fighting, you know, you're 50 yards away, looking at looking at the enemy, you know, eye to eye, and you're just shot for shot. We're going to take a shot. We're going to stand here, reload, and you're going to take a shot. Just the the sight, sound, smells, right? The, the death, everything was taking, it took days for people to just lay on the battlefield sometimes and die. And just the intensity of that and the impact of that. And I, I definitely wanted to explore that from the context of a Civil War soldier that I hadn't seen at the time I was writing it. I had not seen something fully explored in film. And so that was definitely something I was very very big on. And then I think the last thing I'll say is growing up for me, I grew up in the in the Pacific Northwest and when we learned about the Civil War, it was at least what I remember. Maybe we were taught a lot more than this and I was just a horrible student which I probably was. But it was that the the north was good and the south was bad and that's basically it. And when you really study the historical record and when you look at journals and you look at really what what was the mindset, what was going on? It was so nuanced. It was so it was not black and white at all. You know, it was it was there were All kinds of reasons people were fighting and being thrown into it, you know, and and so I I I wanted to represent some of that, right? That the North wasn't just sitting here saying emancipate slaves and let's free them, but they were trying to reclaim the Union. They were trying to keep things whole, and 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 I guess just a lot of different elements in there that you know I'm not making a documentary, but wanting to I guess just leave little crumbs here and there of the complexity of history at the time that these people were experiencing. I think was somewhat of a driving and compelling element for me as well.
1: That's an amazing answer. And it's probably heartening for anyone out there listening who might be told or are thinking that they're being told to give up on their dream and the value of sticking with it. I do think it was a brave decision to make as your first feature film, especially as it relates to the relationship between the two main characters. Did you talk with other people about it how did you feel comfortable writing a script that had such a racial component to it
0: fantastic question you know i think when you're whenever you're going to tackle something as a filmmaker honestly anything you know that you don't know much about it's coming from a place of deep humility like recognizing i'm not trying to bring anything that that i think you know i want to first and foremost get the biggest foundation and base of what actually happened. And so one of the the key things I did was go to the historical record. There's something, Library of Congress did something called the Federal Writers Project. It's the most amazing thing that majority of people have never heard about. And what what the U.S. government did through the Federal Writers Project in like the 1930s and 40s, it was they recognized that the last living generation of people who lived under the bondage of slavery were still alive, but they were very, very old. And so they sent hundreds of reporters into the South and the southeast to interview the last living generation of these people and And so they go in and you have this Library of Congress, it's open source, it's free. everyone can look at it, and it's broken down by state. They interview all of these individuals, and there are some of the most amazing stories you've ever heard. And some of them are just slice of life, like they have a memory of you know, just a couple of specific days or times. Other people are going through just detailed accounts of hard experiences, fun experiences, like hilarious experiences under slavery and just their life, you know, what it was like. And what's interesting is these individuals, when they're being interviewed, they're not, they weren't like two years old at the time the Civil War ended. They were actually like 30 years thirty years old. So some of these individuals being interviewed were like as old as 107 years old. But what was so amazing about it was these interviewers, when they recorded the interview, they didn't try and correct it for quote unquote, like proper grammar, you know, so it was, they, they recorded it frenetic, frenetically. So whatever accent was there, they actually, they, they, they wrote it accordingly and they actually had. Some audio recordings as well. So, anyway, that was a huge source for me to just read and read and read and get a, a true sense of what happened. Because, I, to your question, there were a ton of people, even on the film set, you know, wh- whether it was crew or otherwise, that there were they were very uncomfortable. You know, it was like, oh, are we sure? Like, you know, and and I, when you when you, for me, I would say the confidence came because I initially had that, like, how can I dare write this stuff? But as I was learning it, it was like how can I not to represent these individuals that had such amazing stories that we haven't heard? These elements of history of these people that fought and died and dreamed and hoped for freedom, that was key. But talking to people who were concerned about it, it was just like the confidence came from just knowing it inside and out. And, and when you know it, you know, I don't, I no longer look at, there's no, you you realize quickly that scientifically and anthropologically, there's no such thing as race. Like we're literally all people. And the only thing skin color actually does tell us is where our ancestors spent the majority of their time relative to the equator, right? The closer to the equator, the darker the skin, the further away, the lighter the skin. And like, it's such a freeing concept because even today we're using, you know, these terms of race and it's like, there, there literally is no such thing. And like, that was, things like that, I I would say were very empowering to me. And I definitely had conversations with people, with the actors on set, we talked a lot about, hey, does this does this feel right? So like, there were many times where we're going through, and it's like, I wouldn't say it this way, I would say it this way, or or someone would say, Oh, you know, my, my grandfather would say this phrase, you know, and I was like, Oh, I love to, you know, bring that in. And I think, again, that humility coming to something where you're just trying to do everything you can to learn all you can about the the context and, and the history or the story you're trying to tell and being open to receiving truth that that people have to bring to it that really adds to that vision that, that you had initially.
1: I felt like that came through in the sense that so many times you watch period pieces and you can tell that the writer is trying too hard to make it a period piece of like, just like these almost exaggerated dialogue and it comes off as phony and you have none of that in there. It sounds as realistic as can be, and I'm sure you notice that as well, that it's as realistic as it could be of, of the relationship between two people, rather than add an
0: affectation to it
1: that may or may not have existed in the time period.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, no. And thank you for noticing. that. And I think that was the other thing, too, that it's interesting with a period piece that you actually have to kind of blend. And I recognized early on that it was okay to do it right in that in terms of do you use 100% proper language and dialogue from the era? Or do you blend it, you know, and so I was like watching the Patriot or like Braveheart. And it's like, the, you have to have a modern audience like enjoy it. And so there definitely is, you know, historically, the one knock we can get is there are some little phrases here and there that may not have been historically accurate, but to me, it, it it still feels authentic and real because to the exactly. actor and to the character, it was very authentic and real to them. So it flowed very nicely. So we definitely bridged that gap, but I think we did it in a pretty respectful way and leaning definitely on the historical side on the, the dialogue. But we're okay to dip into some 21st century dialogue here and there, you know, briefly.
1: So you filmed in Arkansas. How were you able to get the uniforms, military formations, all of that stuff right?
0: Yeah, good good question. So we have a shot in Northwest Arkansas and you know again kind of hailing back to that concept trailer I I referenced with the reenactors, I knew that was gonna be a critical element. That's something we pitched the investors on when when we had to go out and try and, you know, find the The money to make this film was we don't we're never going to have the budget to go and do some huge thing where we where we're actually outfitting everybody so we leaned into the local reenactment historians and reenactors so that they they brought with them their own guns their own cannons you know everything they brought with them so we basically similarly we just we just outfitted and geared up our guys on set there with to blend in with the reenactors and then also again leaning we leaned into we found some local reenactors that are just historians they just know everything about it and so they they took it on it was amazing it was almost we almost got into some where we're like you're going a little too far like i mean they wanted our both of our things was we don't want a historian a reenactor to look at this thing and say oh come on they used the wrong you know they used the wrong blanket or this and that i mean it was like every button is going to be proper, the belt buckle is going to be situated proper, like the the hat, you know, everything is going to be there. And so having people who are amazing at what they do over that, that element of war was just leaning on them and just walking through everything. And again, finding like, okay, where we we may not need to show all of this, but like, you know, how can we For the sake of a film, because it's not a documentary, how we make sure we blend it proper, but we had some incredible people that just wouldn't, they wouldn't let it be inauthentic because they didn't want their name on it if it was going to be because they didn't want to be that guy because they said, we watch these films and we love to just point out how, you know, this is off and this is wrong. And so everything you see is actually, it's exact to that region of the country, right? Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas, like you're going to find the uniforms and the way it was worn and everything is going to be lined up just, just, just proper. So we leaned in, we leaned into the, to the locals and, and the, and the knowledge in the best way we could.
1: That's awesome. And do you have any, after going through this process, it sounds like it was a, almost a decade process to getting the film made. Do you have any advice for people taking on a military or veteran project like this?
0: Absolutely. It was yeah about thirteen years in total, and I'm not. The, I guess as a caveat, I would just say I don't have a trust fund. I didn't go to some big film school. I'm literally just just a, at the time just a kid that wanted to tell a story. And you know, I would say first and foremost, like the the thing that is going to weed you out in the filmmaking process, number one, is going to be not your skill. Like your skill will not determine how far you go in film. It, it's a, it's it can be a factor, but. It's how hard are you willing to work and how long are you willing to persevere through that, right, to achieve that. And so I financed the film myself through outreach. I had never done, you know, i never, I didn't go to business school. I didn't have any background in this. It was just, again, trial and error. And I sent out over 4,300 cold emails to potential investors in film. And, you know, it, it was up to 10 hours a day for two and a half years trying to find these people. And, you know, we got 10 yeses. I'd say number one, don't quit. If you believe in it, go after it with everything you have, be realistic along the way, like adapt as you need to and adjust as you need to, to, you know, you're not going to make a $50 million film for your first film or, you know, kind of a thing like no one's going to let you do that unless you have grandpa Joe's going to give you $50 million or something. So, but I would say go after it with everything you have and persevere through it, you know, just stick to it and find the people that you trust. Don't let other people, I found a couple of things. I, I have so many things I could say, but I found a lot of people, you know, initially were like, go the Hollywood route, right? Like you got to get the biggest DP and you got to get the biggest people. And, I, and I, I tried to go that route for a little bit. And I realized the more I tried to do what everyone told me to do, I wasn't getting anywhere. And the more that I went on my own path to try and find the money or try and find the actors or whatever it is, I was having way more success doing exactly opposite of what they were telling me to do. And not saying that what the the classic way doesn't work but I'll just say that there's no, there's no magic to this. Like there's no easy road again, unless you have that automatic in, it's just find a way to tell your story. And, you know, so I ended up using all the people, the, the, the DP, the cinematographer that, that did the, the concept teaser. He's the guy that DP the feature film. You know, he's someone I trust we have a shorthand with, we can, we've been in the trenches together. And so we know when it gets rough and and hard, we know how to communicate with each other. And so find the people you trust find the people you love to work with and just doggedly go after it and, and don't give up and, and you'll get there. Whether it's a veteran film or not, but I would just say lean into every resource that you have. And when you find that story that you cannot not tell, go after with everything you have. And so that, I think that, that'd be the biggest thing is when you feel driven and compelled and you can't think of anything else, there's no other story you want to tell that's when you go all in, right? That's, that's when you plant the flag and say, this is the one I'm going in on.
1: I love that so much. So when can people see Freedom's Path and what are you working on now, Brett?
0: Yeah, so Freedom's Path, it comes out, uh, limited release in theaters on September 8th. Freedom's Path will be released wide digitally October 6th through iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, and Vudu. And then I'm working right now on, ironically, another military film. I, I didn't even think about that until you asked the question. It's a World War II-era film, but it's about the boys who are left at home as their dads are fighting. So it's kind of a stand-by-me meets dead poet society kind of a film about the coming of age of these boys as their dads are off at war. So,
1: Oh, that sounds epic. We'll,
0: yeah, we'll, we'll have to do this again when that one's done.
1: <laughs> awesome. So I just wanted to ask you a few other questions about more independent film. So you did make this film from a short. Would you recommend going that route or would you recommend to somebody just starting out, you know, do the low budget feature even if you have to cut
0: corners just to create a feature first? Oh man, that's a good question. And I'm I'm honestly on the fence. I think you could go either way and it would be dependent on the story. I think short films are fantastic. I think they can be great in showing and showing what you can do, and they can be a proof of concept. But I would actually my advice to anybody, first and foremost, I think you should make short films all the time. Like if, if you have not been, it depends on where you're at. If you're a brand new filmmaker, go make a short film every weekend. And don't put too much thought into it. Like go out and have fun, use your phone, shoot whatever you can, because you're gonna, you will, you will learn infinitely in the process of making them of what to do, what not to do, what looks good, what doesn't look good. If you've done that, if you've made short films, if you've kind of, you know, messed around and and you feel like you're proficient and you're you're getting there. If you have that story that you want to turn into a feature, my best advice would be kind of would be do what I did, and that is make a concept teaser first, right? Do a like make something that's just as amazing and beautiful and powerful as you can. Do it in a minute and a half to two minutes long. And take that out and show people what you can do and what it can look like. I think short films are amazing and, and you can go that route as well, but you're going to be dealing with, you're going to probably have a lower budget. You know, you the actors may not be, they, they may be great, but they also may not be great, you know, in terms of who you would really rather have in those roles. And so they may not represent your dialogue as well as they otherwise could. That could be a little bit of a, of a pullback. And, or if you're going to make a really high budget short film, I'd say save that money and put that towards your feature. And so I would say definitely make something right for the feature. Definitely make a concept teaser. Do something if it's not going to be a short film. But the time and energy, and specifically the money, the process of raising money for a short film is really the same as a feature film. The only difference is the amount, and but the work is the same. And so I would say that would be my advice. You know, I think you go either way. There's no right way to do it. Whatever whatever way gets your film made, do it. But that would be my advice: is you don't have to make a short film in order to make a feature film. It can work, but there are ways that you can creatively do it with without having to go through the full process of making sure.
1: Awesome. It's a great answer. And is there a film or director that you wish more people would
0: know about? I love this. I love this director. He's becoming a lot bigger now. He, his name is Jay Bayona and he's, he's done some really big films. He did the impossible, which is the film about the tsunami in Indonesia. And he's done, he's done some amazing films. I, I, he would be someone, I think, I just, anything, anytime his films come out, I'm excited to see what he does. That's a filmmaker that I think could use more attention, but I think he's on his way. I mean, he's, he's doing some really big stuff though. I need him now to shout me out. It's what I need. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, Brett. The film is Freedom's Path in select Theater, September 8th, and then Video on Demand on what date again?
0: October 6th.
1: October 6th. I definitely encourage people to check that out. Thanks again for coming on the First Time Go podcast, Brett.
0: Ben, thanks so much for having me. It's been awesome.
1: Thanks for listening to the First Time Go podcast. The goal is to make life a little easier for independent creators. So if you're with me for that, please give the podcast a five-star review wherever you download your podcast. It's free and helps expand the reach for the creators on the show. Expanded membership is available through Directors Club. You get access to season one, early episodes when available, and other subscription benefits. Sign up now through Red Circle. The link is in the show notes. Check out the podcast YouTube channel if you'd like to watch a select number of episodes of the podcast and the indie film highlight posted every Sunday. Thanks again for listening and helping creators get their first time go.